I'm saying you guys do it because I never do it. You just flap and flap and flap and flap until finally you flap your way into forbidden territory to talk about things you shouldn't talk about. You just, it, it happens to us. So we have to be cautious about our mouth. It can get us into a lot of trouble. Whoever restrains his lips is prudent, is thoughtful, is thinking forward, who is thoughtful about the danger of his words. Now, if you ever talk yourself into a bad situation or if your mouth gets you in trouble and you have to suffer because of it, sometimes that's how we learn our lesson. Yeah, I'm not going to say that anymore. I'm not going to say it anymore. I had a guy, he's in my church in Oklahoma, a wonderful guy. And uh, <clears throat> sometimes I can be, I can be you know, profanity is an, an interesting thing. There, there's, what, is, what is profane or inappropriate to one group is not to another, right? It's a, it's a moving target. And so I was giving a sermon, I was talking about, some, about something, and I, I think I was talking about wives, you know, I referred to the wife as being the old lady, you know, that kind of thing. And after service, this guy came to me, he's like, he's like, Pastor, I just wish you wouldn't call wives the old lady in a sermon. I was like, well, that's what my grandpa called his, called my grandma, the old lady, and other words. <laughs> so it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sliding scale there of, of words, and so... But once he pointed that out to me about saying that, I thought, oh, I'm not going to say it anymore. And I really tried hard not to say it. And whenever I would get ready to say it, because I thought it would be funny, because when you, when you like to make people laugh, it can become kind of a bad thing, right? Thanks for not agreeing. Because <laughs> sometimes you're gonna, you want to say something funny, and I would, and, first, and you know, the church wasn't, wasn't a huge church, and he kind of sat kind of right in front of me because that church had three, three sets of pews. It had a set here, a set here, a set here. And he sat straight out there, about where Jim Ackerman's sitting. And every time I get ready, to, I get ready to say old lady because he ain't the boss of me, right? I'd look back there, and there he'd be. And I'd think, oh, I don't want to hurt Billy. <laughs> he wasn't shaking his head like Ackerman was doing. <laughs> but, you know, this is, your words can get you in trouble. Your words can cause you some difficulties, and Proverbs is just filled with these things. Now, the reality is, is that the number of words that you and I produce, the amount of talking that we do, can cause problems, can cause us problems. Now, take your Bible, turn to James chapter 3, and look at verses 5 to 12, and here James tells us how difficult it is to control our mouths. James chapter 3 Verses 5 to 12. Now, I guess we could, we could just skip back up to verse 2, because I guess that'll help us out a little bit. Verse 2, James 3, 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a what? A perfect man. Able also to bridle his whole body. So if you can control your mouth, then you have the ability to restrain your whole self. You are a master of yourself. Verse 3. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide our whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So, the, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze 
by such a small fire. The tongue is so small, but can cause so much difficulty. Every, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, standing the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. Set on fire by, striking word, hell. For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and sea creature can be, named, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. All these are descriptive of the tongue and the, the problems it can create for us. And the, not just the problems it creates for us personally, but the wounds it can cause to others. Now, have you ever talked yourself into trouble? Have you ever been too loose with your tongue? We all have. We all have. Now, I'm gonna, in, a, in a little bit, I'm going to get in my sermon to talking about two people who had exceptional performance. According to the Bible, two men who are called perfect, to be honest with you. But one of them, he says things that he shouldn't say. And hopefully I remember to tell you that. All right? Number two. Our text in Ecclesiastes reminds us that the people in our life will both criticize and praise us. So even if we do a good job of watching our mouth, the people who we live with, the people in our lives, the people we love and care for, are going to both criticize us and praise us in our life. Nearly all of our relationships give evidence to this. Now, I'm a father, and I'm a good father. Right? Now, from this, from this aisle, I received one look of shock, one mild eye roll, and one look of complete indifference. And that is from my children. <laughs> now, I'm sure that sometimes the kids get together when I'm not around and they say, can you believe, Dad? I'm sure that if I looked at their text messages, somebody would lose their phone. <laughs> because, because and, and it's the same way with husbands and wives, brothers and sisters. We praise and criticize one another. We praise and it's, it's, it's in relation because we're not perfect. We frustrate one another. It happens. All of our relationships give evidence of the fact that we both love and we, the people we love and care about, we criticize and praise them. Now, every one of us, this happens because every one of us have both virtuous qualities and vile qualities. We'll be praised for the good and the other things will be cursed. And sometimes even our good qualities can be offensive. You, you, ever, you ever meet somebody who is just... Uh, I don't know how to say this. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, it would be people who were super spiritual all the time. They never had any uh, carnality in them. No earthiness 
And it, it would just be very annoying. Everything you would say, they would say, you know, praise the Lord or get, get, relate God to it in some way. And, uh, and it, it gets kind of annoying sometimes. And sometimes it starts to look like a Pharisaical act. I worked at this, I used to work for this pastor, and every time we did, we achieved something. If we, if we were able to break loose a frozen bolt on a, on a mower or a tractor or something, he'd say, praise the Lord! And it, after, at first I thought, if I could only be like him. But then after about the 10th or 15th time he did that, I was like, I wish he'd shut up. <laughs> How about praise Terry? How about thanks for helping out, dude? You know, I just, it just, but that, but it's not bad to give praise to the Lord, is it? And everything give thanks. It's not bad, but sometimes even good qualities can annoy people, can, can be annoying. Now, the praise side of that is good. There's nothing better than hearing someone praise you. And, it, and it, there's an even better level of praise is when you hear somebody else telling somebody else, how good you are. Wouldn't it be great to overhear a conversation? You got you, got, you got you, and then there's A and B, and they're talking. And A is telling B, you know, C is just so great. When, when, when they show up for work, I'm so happy. It's so wonderful when they're there. And if you overhear that, you're like, oh, yeah. That's a delicious thing to hear, isn't it? But we've all experienced the other, haven't we? When A and B are talking about you, letter C. And they're talking bad about you. And you overhear that. I hate to see them when they show up at work. Oh, I wish they would quit. I can't wait till they retire. All this kind of stuff. Whoa, that hurts. It goes down into the inner parts of your belly. It's a deep wound. The praise makes us feel good. But the cursing and criticism makes us feel awful. Especially when it comes from someone who you love or you admire. Someone who you care about. Those criticisms... They're very painful. Now, friends, there is no way to avoid being criticized. Illinois native Elbert Hubbard, who lived from 1856 to 1915, is credited with saying this, how to avoid criticism. This guy was a traveling salesman. I don't think there are anybody more criticized than salesmen. Right? Because every time you do a deal with somebody, in the back of your mind, what do you think? They're taking advantage of me. They're a shyster, you know, etc. It's like being a car salesman. Are car salesmen good or bad? Oh, it's mixed opinions, isn't it? If you bought a good, if you bought a car from somebody, were treated fairly, and got a car that was dependable and reliable, then how do you feel about the car salesman? Great. If something negative happens, then what happens? Oh, they're just rotten, you know, just rotten. Well, this man, Elbert Hubbard, he said, this is how you avoid being criticized. Some people usually, a lot of people attribute this to Aristotle, but it looks like this guy actually said it. If you want to avoid criticism, do nothing, say nothing, be nothing, and you'll never be criticized. Anytime you try to do anything, you're going to get criticized by somebody. And some of us are naturally critical people. Somebody tells you their idea, and 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 you're a shooter downer. Bam, 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 bam. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to destroy your dream right here. That way, to, to, I'm going to give you pain now to, to help you avoid pain in the future. I'm going to destroy that idea. Right? Some of us are like that naturally. You're going to be criticized. There is no way to avoid being criticized in life. 
And you're going to be criticized even if you are a perfect person. Only two men in the Bible are presented as, having, as being exceptional in their perfections. One is Job, who the Bible says Job was a perfect man. That's what God says. Hast thou considered my servant Job? He's perfect and just in all his generations. Job is an exceptional person. Now, I learned that lesson from a guy who was a drunk. I went out to see him in his house. He lived in a little shanty in uh, rural Arkansas. I mean, it was a house that looked deserted, like nobody lived there, but a guy did live there. And I drove up in the, in the little place and parked my, parked my car, and I stomped my way through the brush and knocked on the wall because his, his son went to our church, and he came out, his name was Alan, and he came out there, and he was standing by the truck, and I thought, and I thought you know, I'm going to witness to him, I'm going to get him born again and get him on the right path, right? And so he comes out, we're standing there by the truck, and, you know, and kind of when you, when you do personal evangelism, you have this little spiel that you do, this little sales talk, this gospel sales talk. And I, and I just kind of went into my little, my, little, uh, my little speech. And I said, well, you know, Alan, nobody's perfect. That's where you're wrong. I said, oh, yeah? I said, the Bible says there's no, that we've all sinned, that there's none righteous, no, not one. He said, there is a perfect person. And I said, and, I, and if, I said, if, if I said, who is a perfect person, who would you say? And that's what I said. I said, you're right. Jesus was perfect. Now there's somebody else perfect too. And I said, well, according to you, maybe. He said, no, according to God. And I said, uh, I said you know, here I am. I'm a preacher. I've been to Bible college. I got me some education, dude. And no drunk dude in the shanty is going to show me up. Well, that's what happened. <laughs> and he went back inside the little shanty, came outside with a, a well-thumbed and worn King James Bible and flipped it open to me and showed me perfect about Job. And I said, well, there's different kinds of perfection. <laughs> so Job was perfect. He's, he's a, a highly exalted person. And the second person the Bible talks about being perfect like this is Jesus. Jesus. Both of these men were, had a, a level of perfection in their living that was exceptional. They lived exceptional lives. As far as we can tell, the general character of their life, especially Job, was positive and good and helpful. And Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we know he, he came into the world, a man without sin, without iniquity, without unrighteousness, and he lived a perfect life, only ever doing good to anybody he met, healing and helping and loving and comforting. And both of these men, both Job and Jesus, they both faced soul-withering criticism. Remember when Job, he loses everything, his whole life goes in the pot, and he's sitting there around the fire, he has sores on his body, he's scraping himself, and his buddies come to comfort him, and what do they say to him? Ultimately what they say is, Job, the reason why your life stinks right now is because you have some secret sin that God is judging you for. And in his worst moments of life, they criticize him. Now that is soul-withering. It, it, it's kind of like this. Let's say your kid is playing in the backyard. And you say, don't climb that tree. Stay out of the tree. 
It's slippery up there. And your kid falls out and breaks his leg. And while he's laying on the ground, you walk out there and go, I told you. Right? It's, it's that kind of wound. Here's a kid who's got his legs broken. You know, it's, it's, not, it's just it's hurtful. And then Jesus, they criticize him for everything he did. They criticize him for every single thing that he did. He went around doing all these wonderful miracles, healing and helping people, giving food to people. And what do they say? Ah, yeah, he's doing great, but he does it by the spirit of the devil. He's trying to lead people astray. Even the very best people are going to be criticized. There is no way to avoid criticism. Now let's talk about the good stuff. How do we handle this? How do we handle this reality? Ecclesiastes 7, 21 and 22. Verse 21. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you, and it hurts. Don't take to heart everything that people say. Not everything that people say about you behind your back or to your face is accurate or true. Not everything they say is true. Not every criticism that you hear requires you to do anything about it. Now, I've been in the preaching business my whole adult life, and, I, and you know, I've been criticized a lot. Sometimes it's been good. Sometimes it's been bad. One, one time, a guy in Arkansas, he said, I'm sick of seeing the top of your head when you're preaching. Now, what does that mean? I'm sick of seeing the top of your head. It's exactly what, because I had to say, I said, what does that mean? Because at that time, just like now, I was, this, this sermon is not, this is just an outline. But back in those days, I was writing out full-page manuscripts, handwritten in my best penmanship. And because it was kind of a time of conflict in our church, because churches go through times of conflict. It always happens. But in that particular time of conflict, I was preaching so good. (laughs) I mean, I was preaching manuscripts. I was taking the fourth draft of manuscripts to the pulpit. Now, any of you guys do any kind of writing or anything like that? You know, the first draft, you love it. The second draft, you're fixing the first draft. Third draft, you're whipping yourself like, I don't want to do this again. Fourth draft, that's like Shakespeare, man. I'm just, I'm really working my tail off. And because I want to get these carefully crafted sentences delivered in just the right way, I'm reading them. And you know, I thought, it really got on my nerves. Doesn't he know these are the best sermons he's ever going to hear? Doesn't he know that this is actually some really fine stuff? The top of my head, you know? What about, shouldn't he be, maybe he should shut his eyes, you know, and just listen for a chance to stare on my head. But, you know, criticisms are like that. I've been criticized for preaching too long. <laughs> I've been criticized for preaching too short. Believe it or not, I know it's hard to fathom. Uh, I've been criticized for all kinds of things, just from the preaching side, and then, then there's all, all kinds of other stuff, you know, because... My imperfections are many. (laughs) But you know, 
When that guy said that, I was tired of seeing the top of your head. I thought, what should I do? Well, I intentionally kept my head down more <laughs> at first because that's the way I roll. <laughs> He's never going to behold my countenance again. <laughs> so, the, so, but you know, I didn't have to do anything about it. I just took it, took his criticism and just moved on. Not everything requires you to do something about it. Sometimes people are just running their mouth and they don't mean anything. Now, I've been married for a long time. Besides, Valerie will be talking to me. She'll be telling me stuff. She'll be telling me problems, burdens, difficulties. And because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a problem solver, I'll say, okay, we'll do this. And then do this and do this and do this. And she's like, I don't want to do any of that. Why are you telling me? Why are you telling me your problems if you want me to fix your problems? She's like, I don't want you to do anything, idiot. I just want you to listen to me, right? And so not everything requires action. Thirdly, we have to consider the source of the criticism. There are people in your life who are chronic complainers. They're chronically complaining about everything. You could give them a check for a million bucks, and they'd complain because it's a check and not cash. They just complain. Nothing is ever good enough for them. They just complain about everything. So let's consider the source. Now, let's say your best friend gives you a criticism. You might give that more weight than you give to your enemy. Right? So consider the source of these things. Consider, fourthly, the circumstances under which the criticism is made. Because sometimes circumstances play a part. People who are hurting themselves tend to hurt other people. Hurting people hurt people. When you are in an angst, when you are hurting yourself, you're going to lash out. Now, to illustrate this, have you ever, has anybody here ever had a dog? Has anybody here ever owned a cat? No. Owning a cat is a sin. Let's start there. <laughs> now, I've had a lot of dogs in my life. Now, when I was a kid growing up, we had hunting dogs, lots of dogs. And we also, we had rabbit traps. We tried to trap rabbits and stuff like that. And let's just say you have a good dog. He's a wonderful dog. But if that dog gets his foot hurt, you know, and you're playing with him and you, you try to help him with his foot, Maybe trying to pull a little needle, a little needle, a little splinter out of his foot, or get his little foot out of a trap. That dog might bite you. He might give you a nip. It's not because he doesn't like you or love you anymore. It's because he's hurting. And sometimes people, because they're hurting, when they're hurting, they get snappy. They get nippy. Now, when I'm sick, I know that I get short, and I could bite and snarl. You know, if I get hurt playing basketball or twist my ankle or get some kind of a, a wound or injury and I'm hurting, and Valerie, she'll say, you may, you may do this, you may care for you and do, do something for you. Now leave me alone! Quit bothering me! Because when you're hurting, you can get snippy. And sometimes the people in your life, they, they, they're criticizing you and they're just taking it out on you. When you go down to work tomorrow, 
the people you work with, some of them maybe today are going to find out that their marriage is over, that their house is in foreclosure, that their mom, who they love with all their heart, has got some really bad news, or their car needs a new transmission, or one of their kids has decided to do something stupid. And they bring that, that frustration with them to work. And when they get down there and they see you doing something that's mildly irritating, they blow up on you or they criticize you. Hurting people hurt people. When people are angry about something, they're not in their right mind. They're not thinking straight. Now, I have a temper. And when I lose my temper, when I get really unhinged, angry, I'm out of normal. It's a whole other realm. Anger. When people are angry, they're not thinking straight. They're not using good judgment. That's why you and I, we have to work at being temperate, being meek, controlling ourselves. Sometimes people can be frustrated or confused or they're just tired and they say stuff they wouldn't normally say. But then there are some people who actually crave controversy because they're arrogant and they love to cause problems. Now, that's, now that's a different thing. Consider the source of these criticisms. Think about what's happening here. Remember, just, there's, there's things that go to it. In my church in, in Arkansas, we're having lots of difficulties for a certain time. And I was talking to a guy, and this was in like July. And he said, I was telling him I was, I was crying on his shoulder, right? I was telling him about how bad people in the church were being to me. And he said, he said well, Terry, let me tell you something that you might not think about. And I said, what is it? He said, it is July in Arkansas. And it's hotter than the surface of the sun in July in southwest Arkansas. It's not just hot, it's humid. So think about being outside here in Michigan when it's 85 degrees, wearing your snowsuit, wearing your ice fishing clothes. And you're outside, and, and that's just what it's like in Arkansas. It's so humid and thick, you swim places. You swim in the Walmart. You swim in the... I mean, it's just... And it, after a while, that heat just gets on everybody's last nerve. Because nobody can get cool, really. There, there's, no, there's not enough water to drink. It's just, he said, maybe the circumstances. There, there, there's, there's usually, sometimes there's something behind it. Now, a wise person, when they hear criticisms, they respond to it, maybe. You might respond to criticism or might not. Some criticism, this is what, this is what Solomon says, do not take to heart, do not take seriously all the things that people say. Some criticisms have merit and therefore are an occasion for us to make positive changes in ourselves or our behavior. Charles Spurgeon when he first began his ministry in London, he had a, a person in the church who every week would send to him in the mail on Monday all the grammatical errors he made in his sermon. Or she would criticize, as a lady, or she would criticize something that he said because he was always quoting 
the lines from Augustus Top Lady, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to that cross I cling. That was something he said all the time. And she said in a note, we are well acquainted with the vacuity of your hand. We don't need to hear anymore about nothing in your hand I bring. She's like, get some new, get some new, uh, what do you call it? Get some new material. So, sometimes criticisms require us to do something. Sometimes they're occasion for us to make positive changes in ourselves or our behavior. And this is something that, as you grow and mature, you, you take to heart. You learn how to winnow through it. Saying, so, yeah, that, that's a good criticism. That, that, that's, something that I can, I can, that's something that I do need to change. That's something I need to fix right there, okay? Now, Spurgeon said this on this text in the sermon. Spurgeon said, I have one blind eye and one deaf ear to criticism, and they are the best ear and eye that I have. So he says you have to intentionally not take everything to heart. If you take everything that people say to heart, as life or death, what's it going to do to you? Well, it's going to debilitate you. It's going to destroy you. It's going to put you right down the floor and depress you. Now, you might respond to criticism, you might not. Here are some texts for you. Proverbs twelve sixteen: The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. The vexation of a fool is known at once. Hey, you're ugly. So's your mama! A prudent man might not respond. He would just go, yeah, ignoring people. The prudent man ignores an insult. I was playing basketball a few weeks ago. This is the most insulting thing I've ever heard on a basketball court. This guy said, I, ha- I, ha- <laughs> I was coming down the court, and the, guy's, and the guy uh, who's kind of the captain of their team, he sees me come down the court. He says to one of his, co- his, his uh, teammates, don't bother guarding him. <laughs> he ain't going to be no trouble. <laughs> well, that, no, that hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> Proverbs 19.11 says, This good sense makes one slow to anger, and it, it, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 29.11 a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. You don't have to respond to everything. Sometimes it's prudent to not do that. Sometimes criticisms in your life are the will of God. Sometimes that's how God is shaping us through these things. The will of God for your life may require you to become the object of cursing, because getting cursed keeps us humble. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 16 if you want. And then verse 22. This is, this is the part that you got kind of, you got to swallow with some salt probably. Verse 22 says this. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. You know you've done the same thing. If you talk about people behind their backs, cursing them, criticizing them, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen to you. We've all done it. 
in regards to our parents, husbands, wives, bosses, co-workers, fellow church members, pastors, former pastors, teachers, coaches, friends, etc. We've all done these things. Remember, when you hear somebody criticizing you, remember that you have done the same thing. This matters because when we learn or hear that other people have been cursing us, we need to remember we've done the same kind of thing. There's that great reading in Matthew 7, 1 to 5, where it says that the judgment that you use against others is going to be the same kind of judgment used against you. If you are a strict, harsh legalist judging other people, people are going to judge you the same way. Now, being critical of others can become a bad habit. It can just be a learned thing. It's something you learn from other people. Sadly, it's something that we teach our kids. We don't even realize it. We teach our kids so many things without meaning to. The things we want them to learn, they don't learn. The things we, we, the things we want them to learn, they don't. And the things we don't want them to learn, they do learn from us. They pick up on our bad habits, right? So when you hear that someone is cursing you, before you blow up, remember, it could be the same way for you. What this is, is God letting you feel how other people feel about the way you curse or criticize them. It's a good lesson for us. But here's the fourth thing. So what? The takeaway is this. John Gill says, we should be more sparing in our judgment of others. More sparing. More lenient. More relaxed in our judgment of others. Another writer sums it up like this. Since a person has many offensive words to be forgiven themselves... He should not keep strict account of other people's offensive words about them. Because we have our own difficulties. Since we've sinned in this way ourselves, we should be less conscious of it than other people. Now, friends, don't take everything you hear people say about you to heart. Everybody worth their salt is going to get criticized. But if you are addicted to praise, I want you to think about Luke 6.26 because it's easy to become addicted to praise because we like it, right? Now, here's a practical way this works out for me. is when you, when you start making people laugh in a sermon, it's a lot of fun, right? <laughs> of course it's fun. Would, would you rather laugh at church or cry? I'd rather, I'd rather cry. <laughs> no, I mean... <laughs> I'd rather laugh. It, it's fun, you know. And, uh, and, and, this is, and this is a weakness I have, is sometimes I'm, I'm fixing to say something, I think, well, if I say it this way, I can get my point across, and they'll laugh. And my reason for that is Charles Spurgeon, because when in doubt, quote the Spurge, is he said when he would eat oysters, he liked to tickle his clams before he stabbed them. So you tickle them, and they open up. Then they let their they let their guard down, and that's kind of a it's kind of a tool you use in speaking sometimes. But you can become addicted to that. You can become addicted to praise, where where you begin to do things just so people say nice things about you. I'm going to do this because if I do this, then they're going to think this about me. They're going to say this. But listen to Luke 6.26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, 
for so their fathers did to the false prophets. What a sobering thing. They praised the false prophets. Everybody was on board with the false prophets. And so if you're addicted to praise and you do things just to get the praise of man, you are on the same level as a false prophet, as a false teacher. Just because everybody speaks well of you doesn't mean you're necessarily doing good things. It means you're doing the things that will get you praise that you want. Following God is going to require you to run opposite of the culture sometimes. It's going to cause you to run opposite of your church sometimes. It's going to cause you to run opposite of yourself sometimes. To go against the grain, you know. Billy Sunday said it like this. He said, if you have a cat and you're rubbing it the fur the wrong way, turn the cat around. (laughs) Don't quit going that direction. Just turn the cat around. Sometimes we have to change. Sometimes it's required of us. Now, that's all I got to say to you about that. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that these things will be helpful to my brothers and sisters in the lives they have to live. And I pray that you'd help me not to be a critical, cursing person, not to be hypercritical of people. And Father, I pray you will forgive me where I have been that way. Proverbs, it says that the words of a whisperer are delicious morsels. And it's doing that is it doing that just seems so to be so satisfying sometimes, Father. It's a mark of our fallen nature, and I pray you forgive me for it. I pray for my friends and brothers and sisters here that you would help them, Father. We all struggle with these things. I pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.